Hi, everybody. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. Thank you for joining us as we take a look at the book. You know what Malachi is all about? It's the last book in the Old Testament. It is the side of the bridge that crosses over 400 years of history when there's basically silence between the end of the Old Testament and the book of Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament. Well, there is a link between the two, and as we continue our study through Malachi, you'll come to understand that link. That link is what chapter 4, verse 5 says, where it talks about Elijah coming back before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and then what it says in Matthew chapter 11 about John the Baptist, who could have fulfilled the prophecy of Malachi, about Elijah. Well, that's for another study. Today, we're going to focus on two temples. Two temples, yet in the future. That's our study from the book of Malachi, which is basically a Middle East news update. Thank you for joining us. We'll listen to the study, and then I'll come back and tell you how you can get your own copy of Malachi, a Middle East news update. Now let's study about the two temples yet to come. Take your Bibles, if you will. Let's uh, get into the study of the Word of God. We're studying together a series on the book of Malachi. Malachi, it's the 39th of the 39 books found in the Old Testament. It's the last one just before you go to the New Testament in Matthew, if you can't remember where Malachi is. Malachi is a prophet. We don't know a whole lot about him. He prophesied most likely during the times of Nehemiah. You might remember the scenario how when the Babylonian Empire fell in 539 B.C., God had prophesied through the prophet Isaiah 150 years before the fact and very meticulously named the individual who would give the the opportunity to the children of Israel who had been in the captivity to return at least a portion of them to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. That's recorded, that prophecy being fulfilled in the book of Ezra, chapter 1, and Zerubbabel is raised up to take about 50,000 of the Jews back into Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. They have the dedicatory service, and then 75 years after they have returned from that Babylonian captivity, Ezra is raised up. He leaves Babylon. He travels the five months from Babylon over to Jerusalem. He reinstitutes the temple practices. He is a scribe who uh, would uh, teach the Word of God as they began the period of the Second Temple era. And then it was 15 years after that that word came uh, to the court of Artaxerxes, where a man named Nehemiah, his cupbearer, who was a Jerusalemite, heard that indeed Jerusalem was the laughing stock of the world. Because of the Babylonian captivity, Jerusalem had deteriorated, the walls were torn down, the streets were a mess, and so he, Nehemiah, went to Artaxerxes asking permission to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls, rebuild the streets of the city, rebuild the city, make it a wonderful city as it had been before the Babylonian captivity. It is during that time when Nehemiah is ministering in Jerusalem, and in fact, a period he goes back and serves Artaxerxes for a short time, and then will make a return to Jerusalem. It's during that time Uh, that the prophet Malachi is going to be giving his prophecy. Uh, There are a lot of major and minor prophets in the Old Testament. Quickly, let me tell those of you who are just coming to visit with us this day, that uh, the two prophets, 
so prophesied during the Babylonian captivity were Daniel and Ezekiel. So when you read those two prophetic books, you understand they're doing their prophecy during the time that they're in, under the Babylonian captivity. Daniel even under the uh, Medo-Persian captivity as well. Then there are three prophets that prophesy after the Babylonian captivity. Haggai and Zechariah, they're both going to prophesy during the times of Ezra. In fact, you read through chapter 5 of Ezra, then you read Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai, the older prophet, Zechariah, the young priest prophet, and they're going to prophesy and encourage the people to rebuild the temple. The people were kind of slow. They were building their own homes. They didn't have the right priority. They needed to rebuild the house of God. Along after that then, almost contemporary, but a bit later, is Malachi's prophecy. And Malachi is going to, as we look at his four chapters, tell us the characteristics of the times in which he's living and prophesying. In the first chapter, we see that the people, now the temple having been rebuilt and operating for about 100 years, the people are starting to slack off, and instead of bringing a pure, without blemish, without spot sacrifice to the temple, they're bringing sacrifices that are lame. And he goes after them. They have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. By the way, a scenario that Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, will be in effect during the times of the end at the approach of the second coming of Jesus Christ. In addition to that, in Malachi chapter 2, we see another characteristic, the putting away of the wife of their youth. You see, these Babylonian captivists who have come back now into the land who are going to be involved in trying to restart their lives as they are now back in the land of Israel, are, you know, kind of swayed away from their real responsibilities as the husbands of these Jewish wives. They see some beautiful women who are pagan, heathen women from Ashdod, Ashkelon, Ammon, Moab. In other words, the Gentile areas surrounding Israel. Ashdod and Ashkelon on the Mediterranean coast, the area of the Philistines, and then also Moab and, uh, and Ammon on the eastern shore of the Jordan River over what we know as modern-day Jordan today. And so they're carried away following these women. They put away their wives, and it is in chapter 2 where God says, I hate divorce, I hate the putting away of a woman. Now, we discussed that the other day, and I'll not go into a further discussion on that. In the third chapter, we see now that not only is there going to be a sexual behavior that is very loose, but in the third chapter, we see that as there is this continuing responsibility to uh, support the temple, support the men who will be working, the priests and the Levites at the temple, they start to steal from the Lord. They're stealing money. They have a responsibility to bring the tithe in. And we talked about the tithe of the Jewish people. It's not only a 10% that was to be brought into the storehouse. And by the way, that phrase, the storehouse, there were storehouses all around the temple complex. And they were to bring their sacrificial lambs. They were to bring the first fruits of their harvest, whatever. Their 10% of what God had given them into the storehouse for the purpose of operating the temple. 
And that's where that phrase, bring your tithes into the storehouse. But that's not all they had, 10% of that to be brought in. In addition to that, they had a responsibility, as I said, to bring their first fruits in. When the barley harvest came in, they brought the first fruits in. That was a Jewish holy day, first fruits. When the wheat harvest came in, that was the day of Pentecost. They were to bring the first fruits of that harvest in. And the time of tabernacles, they were bringing the first fruits of their olive and their date uh, harvest in and their grape harvest in. They were to bring that to the storehouse, then the 10%. But after that, then there was to be another 10% to take care of the Levites serving in the temple. That's 20 plus percent to bring in. And every third year, they were to bring another 10% of all that they had remaining of after they've given the 20 plus percent and give to the poor. And he was talking that you're stealing from the Lord. You're stealing from me. And that's what they were doing. So that's the, those things sound familiar? Bringing a poor sacrifice to the Lord? We don't sacrifice anymore, Brother Jimmy. Oh, yeah? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. The number one problem in the churches today, putting away of wives. And I want to tell you something. Should we just take 2%? of what the church makes in income today, we could reach the world very effectively. Stealing. And so it is that as Malachi is writing to his own people at that time in history, in addition to that, he's looking down the corridors of time. Indeed, two temples that will be standing in the future in Jerusalem. Not at the same time, one in the tribulation, one in the millennial kingdom. Well, that is very important for us to understand in light of events unfolding in our world. You know, Malachi, the book we have been studying from, is actually a Middle East news update. You need to have your own copy of the study on Malachi. It's a five-hour audio series on CD that is available. You can call our toll-free number. That's 877-674-3298. It's toll-free from across America. Let me give that number again, 877-674-3298. Or you can go to our website and make your order of this series, Malachi, a Middle East News Update. Our website address, prophecytoday.com. Go there, go to the shopping mall. That's prophecytoday.com. And be sure to make your order of Malachi, a Middle East News Update, and be updated about what's happening in the Middle East as it relates to the return of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm Jimmy DeYoung, and I'm so grateful that you could join us today. Everything we study on this opportunity we have to get together with you indicates that the rapture of the church is close at hand when Jesus will shout and call us up to join him in the heavenlies. I look forward to that day, and I even pray that it will be today. And having said that, there's nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until...